Welcome to Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. Okay, I'm Tony Mangus. This is Titanic Reactions, and I'm here with LaBendon Toten. You want Hello. to introduce yourselves and what you do? I'm Frank. I play guitar in LaBendon Toten. Uh, I'm Chanel, and I'm the vocalist. How long have you been a band? Good question. I think at least 20 years at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We started in 2000. No, wait. We started in 2001 and played our first show New Year's Eve 2001 to 2002. But we had already been a band for quite a while because we had a drummer who didn't know how to play drums. <laughs> so it took time. <laughs> And a guitarist who didn't know how to play guitar. Yeah, and a vocalist who did not. Um, anyway, yeah, so I think 21 years-ish. I was going to get into a song, but tell me about that show. Tell me about the first show. Uh, it was awesome. I so, mean, I was, I, it had to have been. It was, it was and Toten, Blood Spit Nights, and Atrocious Madness. So we played twice, and... It was, you know, in a basement. Uh, it was so fun. It was one of the most fun shows I've ever played. Just like when you could do shows in just a completely disgusting basement. And the house that it was in, it's New Year's Eve, so everyone's fucking going crazy. And the house ended up getting demolished because it had been built on an old gas station, but the tanks hadn't been cleaned. So it got turned into a super fun site. Yeah. <laughs> but the show was great. Yeah, we played. It was awful. Uh, and then Bloodspit Nights played, and it was fucking amazing. Oh, man, they did this incredible thing where they had a boombox with Discharge playing, like a cassette of Discharge playing, and they never turned it off throughout their entire set. So anytime there was, like, a moment of quiet, you could just hear Discharge quietly carrying on in the background. It was so fucking good. That was the first show. Oh, damn. And then a Trojan band is played. <laughs> okay, let's play. Let's play a song. What uh, what song is this? And tell me about it. Uh, this song is called "Losing Time." It's on some mind parasites. Musically, we picked it because it, I don't know. We kind of end up having three versions of songs we write like super fast ones and then slow ones and then these other kind of you know anyways it's fairly representative of what we sound like most of the time yeah um and i i wrote the lyrics to that song um and for me it was kind of really about you know like the sense of a loss of control um you know being dealing with something that you can't change and, you know, trying to survive within that and like the things that happen to you when you're in that state. So that actually is a really important song to me. Having something that's out of your control, take control of your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it could be so many things. Yeah, and then kind of just reflecting on like, you know, the, the time that you've lost having to manage these things in addition to the time that you've lost being in it, it's like the sense of kind of unlived potential or something, you know? I mean, I know it sounds silly, but... Uh, no, not at all. Yeah.
the sound of your music is distinct as your lyrics and your art. How'd you come up with it? What influenced your sound? Chaos UK, Disorder. <laughs> <laughs> so our our band, our band before this, the Church's Madness, the the uh, the idea of that didn't really turn into what it was supposed to. I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but there was this idea to have this disorder, chaos, UK kind of band. And so the Ben and Toten was more, the idea was to be focused more of that specific sound and then just insanely over distorted guitar and gloom, gloom as well. So yeah, <laughs> disorder, chaos, UK, confuse and gloom are the, the definitely just the four bands. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> 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 there's there, there's nothing uh too unique about it it's uh, <laughs> i mean i think you know like the idea has always been to bring something into it that is ours you know like it's not it was never meant to be like a copycat sound kind of thing just more like oh this is something that really speaks to us and so we're like excited to you know to play music that speaks to us in that way you know but also no band i've ever heard that would list those as influences sounds like you and it's meant to be overwhelming and and harsh sounding you know and, and sort of like forcing you it's not really background music i don't think it's supposed to <laughs> like <laughs> force a state of mind and, and and force an atmosphere you know that's a huge part of it because you know we're always thinking about like you know we're very deliberate with like how we do shows or like how we make you know the artwork and how we do all these things and think about the sound and the lyrics and everything it's all kind of connected together in this way that is supposed to be like you know a sense that it's its own world kind of oh you can totally see that when you play live is one of the most intense things i've seen Thank you. I love playing live shows. That's really one of my favorite things. And something I love about it is that it's just this like created environment, you know, where it's not really, you don't have to really be in reality. You know, you can kind of just step into this other place. And I find the chaos very soothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and with that, the art is just as intense as the music. What are your favorite record covers? Where did the art come from? I think you mean of Leben and Toten Records? Oh yeah, let's do Leben and Toten first and then okay. you can do um, others. There's so I I love all of our records. I mean I definitely have favorites that are mostly sentimental, but some of them are my favorites, you know, just because of all of the work that we put into them and how they turned out. Um like for example, we did this eight inch um years ago now that was one of my favorites of ours and i had this thing where i wanted to kind of create like a gauzy spider web and then we started using the gauze in the designs um and then we ended up making that banner out of the gauze you know it's just like all this kind of stuff that yeah i just really appreciated like the whole experience of that because recording it was so fun and crazy and just like unlike anything else i'd ever experienced and uh, the, the tour we recorded that on wait we had uh our bass player couldn't go at the last minute so we had to teach another bass player our entire set in a week we, had and a we were supposed to record a new record at the end of the tour in tokyo we didn't have time to teach him 
these new new songs. So we would teach our house. them like in the parking lot outside the shows, and we played a couple of like instrumental versions at, at sound checks, and then we even did a couple shows. We played them as like intros where we just play just to try and learn the song. <laughs> and then at the end of the tour, we went to our house in Tokyo to record these five songs that this guy had just been playing for two weeks and so but it was like it was awesome yeah and i i also remember like struggling to write lyrics on the train i had pneumonia on that tour oh. <laughs> it was just like you know barely oh. scraping through it but when we got to the to the finish line you know i could hardly speak like my voice my speaking voice was almost totally gone because i was so sick but i was somehow was able to to do the vocals and it was really fun because a bunch of our friends showed up and we're like partying around and you know it was a really cool studio too so that was really fun one of the cool things about our house is that uh the engineer just produced he, he, he laid out a bunch of cds and just said what what do you want to sound like and you know there's like gauze lip cream yeah. hues and i was just like that one <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, you'd have to like close your eyes and just point any of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I just said confused, and he said okay, and that was it. And we that was yeah. all he needed from us. We went like to do an interview for Doll. Like we went around the corner while he was mixing it, and we're like, oh, it's gonna take a while. You know, we're so used to mixing taking forever. And we got back, and it was like he was done, like he'd been done, and it sounded perfect. Like you know, there was just, like no. It wasn't like, you know, the same situation that we've ended up in a bunch of times where it just doesn't, it just doesn't come out right, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was, that was also the first record where the artwork kind of became, <clears throat> it played into other stuff like making the gauze banner and uh, where it kind of influenced like all of the merch that we made around it. Uh, not just like a t-shirt design, but like some of the images on it would repeat in posters for a while until the next record. And then it became sort of a cycle. Yeah. And so I think that kind of like building an iconography, um, you know, doing that kind of thing is like something that Frank and I are always have been really interested in because we spent big chunks of our lives staring really closely at records, you know, and like thinking about critiquing them, you know, like judging what's good and what's, you know, whatever, but it gives you um, a sense of how you would like to do things when you kind of already have had so much time to think about what you like and dislike, if that makes sense. Um, I, I got to give, I got to give, give Christian death cover uh, uh, credit for the, um, the banner. Like we had put the record out, all the gauze stuff was all over it. And I went and saw Christian Death play, and they had a banner that was the entire banner was made out of gods. Like, and oh I, shit! And I, the first thing I was, oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> like that's brilliant. And also Iron Maiden for the, because you know each Iron Maiden record, all the singles that come afterwards have that specific Eddie repeated. So like all the somewhere in time Eddie are on the next singles and everything for a while and then it becomes a new thing like, i like that idea of, of yeah the iconography of, of the images yeah for a long time now the the central one has been the hand the hand in the window or at least the one that i feel like we've been using the most yeah. in a few years the releases are really distinct too like one side of 12 inches eight inches it's obviously put a lot of thought in 
message of the record. Um, the the one sided twelve inch was funny because Iron Lung we we pretty much only put out our own records or put out things on Wicked Witch or Overthrow, and Iron Lung wanted to do a record, and I was like, okay, well, we want to do something weird, so like a one sided twelve inch with an etching, and he was just like, yeah, okay. I was like, I wanted to come with postcards. I mean, it's not that simple. I was desperate to do a one-sided etched record forever, and he he offered to do it. (laughs) Finally. That's true. Um, But I, but yeah, like, I mean, sorry, I I interrupted you, I guess, but it's so fun to do things with Jensen because he really likes, you know, adding all those details and making things complex, which is really fun. What's your favorite record covers that aren't Lebedito of any band? Oh, of any band. My favorite record cover, it's really funny that it didn't come to me right away because I have a giant, giant poster of it in my house, um, is the um, Disorder record, Distortion Soul Deafness. Oh, yeah. It's such a strange cover. It's so, so like, perfectly fitting. It's so strange. It's so fitting. It's so, like... It's really not clear if it's a man or a woman, you know, it's not really clear if it's like playful or miserable, you know, like that's what I like. And that's like disordered. I love them so much. They just had this capacity to be totally absurd and very serious. simultaneously. Like they just have all these different, like total opposite, you know, components that fit together in this way that, you know, is the kind of chaos that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I love that cover. They were really trying. Like they weren't, they weren't just like fucking around. Like they were really trying to do something and just weren't very good at it. But then created this amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. Like just like the, the artwork for under under the scalpel blade is brilliant, but so bad, you know. But also amazing. And like staring at like all the drawings of punks and like the fucking celebrity squares on the back. <laughs> what were they thinking oh good and and it's also like you know i think a lot of that stuff now really gets used as like oh it's wacky we're crazy you know kind of thing um but that was like actually their life experience those were things that they went through that was you know like they were talking about their lives in a way that um you know you don't really see in things that are just kind of parroting a style you know like they're talking about what their inspiration talked about not what their actual experience is so it just yeah that was interesting. And I, I always I really appreciated that when I found out. But I was actually thinking about this earlier because there's covers that are they're bad. Like uh, Mad Punks and English Dogs is not a great record cover, but I've spent hours staring at that fucking picture. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Sometimes the worst records you just want to stare at endlessly. Their jackets, their fucking boots, their wristwatches, just like like trying to put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very important all those details are very critical well yeah you, like you know you can stare at a crass record forever and oh, find yeah. new stuff and new interpretations of things and like see how it fits in with individual songs or what was going on in history or whatever Mad Punk's English yeah. Dog is just a picture of <laughs> punks standing against the wall <laughs> you, you can sit there and stare at it for a longer duration than the actual record is. I mean, you brought up crass, which is like obviously I 
of course, like those are incredible. And then I thought about G Voucher, you know, like and her work. And I what something that really burned into my brain on the record, penis envy, like when you fold it out, you know, there's like it's like a collage of all these different phrases and like legs and it just I would stare at it for so long, just like thinking, you know, who is the person who made this? How did she make it? Like what you know, it just made me so curious and like um learning about her was a wonderful thing too although you know any discharge cover like the cover to why is yeah. so brutal and like just unapologetic yeah. and really and says so much without hardly any words you know or even never again i know it's not their artwork but it's state violence state control it's just, just crazy how simple it is but how yeah. what an impact it has you know and then having the the back covers just be black with the lyrics like it's like totally serious so like a, a, yeah. a, a lyric like anarchy is the only solution now makes it seem like you're already like things are so bad <laughs> we are in the thunderdome yeah all sounds of distant aircraft get louder and louder it's like yeah fucked <laughs> But that I, that's a, I think that's a great example of like the artwork completely tying in the entire package. Like it's the lyrics, the, the music, the vocals, the artwork is like a solid thing. You know, like conflict did it, crass, obviously. Yeah. The anti-sect LP is oh like, yeah yeah like what is yeah. It? The, the always debated what is that thing on the cover of the anti-sect record? <laughs> <laughs> did you play with anti-sect? Yeah, we, we did play with Andy Sect and uh, at the, the No in Portland, and they were awesome and yeah. incredible. And uh, when the bass player came up afterwards and just said, ah, Chaos UK, I get it. Yes. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, we did what we came here to do. Let's go. You've been a band for so long. How and why do you still do it? Um, I, I don't know what else to do. I've, I've never thought to not do it. <laughs> There's never been a point where I flipped a coin or had a heavy discussion about, oh, well, maybe we should stop. You know? how, long, how long in total have we been playing in bands together? So that would be 1997. 1997. Over half your life, at least. 24 years. So I, I don't think we know how to do anything else. <laughs> no i just never thought to not do it and there's always something to do making t-shirt designs or making record covers flyers posts, whatever it's just a continuous thing <laughs> <laughs> and you still go to kinko's and cut and paste your flyers yeah it's got to be a real fucking hassle too because kinko's don't <laughs> stay open all night anymore it's gotten harder to rip them off. Oh man! <laughs> I, I so attach a yeah. magnet to your bullet belt and like walk by the counter and it just. I don't know. I bet you know lots so of people. Let's go over some of those scams because Kinko's has supported at least the Portland punk scene for decades. Yeah. There would be no punk advert. There would be no punk flyers, punk records without those stolen key cards. Yeah. Especially back when we were doing atrocious madness. I don't know if you ever. Uh, do you remember the book Sabotage in the American Workplace? Yeah. You know, just like accounts of people. Yeah. I don't know what the statute of limitations are on some of this stuff, but it's <laughs> we could Seven have, years we, if it's not murder. We could have written like an entire 
the other volume of that, like all the <laughs> weird scams that we had at all the different weird jobs we had. Yeah. But I never worked at Kinko's, but you remember this, there was a place up in back when Northwest was just an industrial wasteland and you could buy these maybe like two inch square magnets that were meant to hold speakers into cars. It was like a junk shop, right? Yeah. You go buy those magnets that for like $5, Mm-hmm. And yeah, you attach them to your bullet belt. And <laughs> when, you're, when you're in Kinko's, it was back when they had those key cards that you stick in the machine and it caps, counts your copies, right? And somebody figured out that there's just a pin in there. And if you that when you hold the magnet against the key card, the pin pops out and, and clears the count. So that's what we would do. Just like you swipe it against the magnet. Every once in a while, it'd be like in the pocket of your jacket and you'd just hit the machine. <laughs> or, and the was, it, was, it was still a real risk too because things were still recorded on tape, you know, and there were cassettes everywhere. Like, and, and you yeah. know, oh, yeah. you don't want to mess up. It's like having random magnets on you is just really not a good idea. And also I, some of the, the counters... You could see the metal pin in there because, like, some plastic had been cut out and a slurpy straw fit right over it. So, if you were lucky enough to get the counter that just had the, the hole in it, you could just stick a slurpy straw in there and pop it out, or you just throw it on the ground really hard. And it's, it's like you've made, you've made five million copies, and you walk up to pay and just say, oh, Yeah, I don't know, I just dropped it. I, I had five copies. Yeah, I know, I've been here for six hours, but <laughs> I, I mean, I used to go to, uh, when I opened the Kinko's for 24 hours, I'd go and I'd be running off like flyers on one machine and zines on another machine. And I figured out how to fix them and like replace the toner. Like the, the kind of the rule, the rule was that like you never bothered the employees, no matter what. And then they didn't care because most of them back then, most of them were art students who were pulling their own scams at Kinko's, you know, yeah, everybody yeah. that ever came out of Portland during that time period was all printed for free at Kinko's and every flyer. I have no idea how to do anything on a computer graphics wise. So everything is and it, like every few years, there seems to be some new copier model that comes out and you have to figure out how to make things look shitty again. <laughs> I know. Remember that terrible time when everything was pixelated? There was that that chunk of years where they just hadn't really figured out how to deal with that. You have to shrink an image not. down to like twenty five percent, and then blow it up to four hundred percent, and yes. then shrink it back down and keep like reversing yes. the image. <laughs> yeah. Or if it was just black and white, you could like use a sharpie at the edges to get rid of the pixels. Oh, yeah, or draw in shirts on people who <laughs> there's that there's that defiance record where where mike like colored out your sunglasses yeah and then put uh and like then put eyes on, on you yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you can do that in kinkos you can't do that on a computer it would just look it would look too good it looked too yes uh, like they look shitty yes. mm-hmm exacto nice and sharpies that like no nothing on a computer will ever look that good and what was great was back then kinko's just had sharpies sitting at what sucks is i stole so much so many office supplies from kinko's that i would have to bring them back because they wouldn't have them anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah so i'd have to constantly have kinko's scissors and sharpies and glue sticks in my bag because i'd go and they'd all be gone <laughs> You have to have to bring them back so you could use them. 
Man, now you can't even get a pair of scissors. Nope, no glue sticks. I haven't been in so long. Uh, it, it sucks. Like, there's only like two in the city that have more than two copiers, and nobody oh, knows okay. how to use them anymore. So everyone takes that. It's just a nightmare. And you can't do the shit where like you get off of work, go there in the middle of the night, stay there till three in the yeah. morning. It's like you've got to do it when there's people around. And, and you know, sometimes punk records look sketchy. So there's people like who don't know yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, Looking yeah. over your shoulder and you're piecing together these like horrific images or whatever. And, and yeah, I remember when we made that atrocious madness like logo, and then the filling the ball of madness, like yeah. the first sphere of madness or whatever. I remember being at Kinko's and kind of feeling weird, like oh yeah, we look like freaks, and we're printing out all of this like weird sad war imagery and like you know depressing you know just that kind of thing i could tell people were wondering what the fuck we were doing being a band so long what have you seen change in punk and what things have annoyingly stayed the same it, it, we were actually talking about this earlier that it's it's weird because even though the idea of regional scenes seems to have deteriorated like you used to be able to totally know where a band was from just by how they sounded or looked, you know, now everything's kind of mashed together where you can't immediately identify a band from Finland or right or whatever. Um, but at the same time, things are oddly very different in other cities. So like Portland kind of hasn't changed like the punk scene as far as like the feel of the scene, but it's, but I bet that like a small town in Idaho, if it has a punk scene, has trained has changed a lot you know what i mean yeah um i think the numbers are a big part of that just like how many people have moved here you know over the course of the last couple of decades it just happened so quickly it totally changed everything and then on top of that you know it was like the internet the proliferation of the internet so suddenly rare records weren't hard to find anymore and more people were able to get access and communicate with one another so that that just kind of population boom was like the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that it, it's it's a lot easier here to do well to like put on shows i guess which seems to be a lot yeah. of like main concern it's like oh there's nowhere for shows or <clears throat> but that's super easy now and you don't even have to go to kinko's and make flyers i guess you just put it on the internet and <laughs> oh, right. <Not> about it. <laughs> but flyers are now like a weird old person's hobby <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was another thing like at the kinkos throughout the night you'd see all kinds of weirdos yeah like yeah the, uh, for sure uh, black the black israelites would be in there do you remember them they had that, that yeah access show they'd be in there doing stuff or you see other weird artists or like even sometimes like metal dudes or you know yeah just that was when everyone came to the Kinkos. And then, like, you know, some, you know, a homeless person with their bag stuffed completely full of paper doing who knows what. Like, you know. <laughs> and what are they going to do with that much paper? Nobody knows, but they've, they've got it. <laughs> oh, you know, people just trying to use the bathroom or whatever. Yeah. Oh, the bathroom scene used to get pretty hectic at the one on Broadway. Oof, yeah. Well, there would be fights with the employees, and they're trying to keep people out of there. Oh, yeah. I remember once sure. the, the one up in Northwest, the employees just had to lock the door because there was this big brawl going on right outside. And we were all just kind of trapped in there for a few hours. I don't remember that. When did that happen? 
98. I don't <laughs> That's so funny. What was the question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kinko's should sponsor us. Well, it's not even called Kinko's anymore. That's how fucking out of it we are. I don't even think the name Kinko's exists anymore. It's still FedEx Kinko's, right? No, no, it's just FedEx, I believe. Wow. Anyways. Remember that laundromat called Kinky's Cleaning Corner? On Belmont 39th? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Now you remember it again. (laughs) I've just been kind of trundling along doing the exact same thing I've been doing for years so the the change of punk in portland hasn't really affected me because i just continue to stubbornly do the same things i always did it's easier to book a show there's more bands there's definitely more punks that's another thing you'd you'd book a show and you knew there was going to be 10 people there now you know there's going to be a couple hundred people there it's so weird to me like i'm getting used to it you know in the last couple of years much more so, but like walking down the street and seeing someone with certain type of pants or a certain type of hair and thinking like, oh, we might have something in common or, oh, we might know some of the same people. And that's just like, that has not been true for so long, you know, like when, even when like skinny jeans or whatever happened and then it was like, okay, peg pants don't tell you anything. <laughs> that, that was the sign for so many years. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Or shoes. Yeah, what shoes are they wearing? <laughs> or a gizm shirt? Yeah. Like said a lot. Uh, yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I mean, you kind of know, but it's also like I you don't know that person, and and there's just a weird. There, I don't know if it's being older. Or it's just there's not an urgency to like make a connection. You know, you see someone in a doom yeah. shirt, and immediately like, okay, this person you're going to have, like you're saying, you're going to have something in common or I should talk to this person and find out if they know about a show or tell them about yeah. or give yeah. them a flyer, which, yeah. Yeah, now, for me, that's the biggest, like, because like, like Frank was saying, I just keep doing whatever I do. Um, but like the fact that there's so many more people because, you know, when I started going to shows when I was really young, it was like, there were a handful of people, everybody knew everybody, people played their own styles and did their own things but we were all we had so there was no reason to really split off you know like which i thought was way more interesting and more fun honestly than a whole bunch of the same thing um so i do miss that a little bit and i think that's part of it it's like oh those days when you had like a sense of camaraderie for another person who was clearly involved in some kind of subculture you know um, so something that's been happening, some of this stuff's kind of Portland, Portland-centric, I guess, but uh, since Portland itself has changed so much, people moving here and just it becoming sort of more yuppified and less of a small town. I mean, in the 90s, you'll remember, like, there, there were kind of two punk scenes. There was, like, the anarcho-political scene and then the kind of, like, bar punks, yeah. I guess. And there was, like, a weird, like... It's kind of like we're all adversaries for yeah, really for sure. any good, good reason, you know? Yeah. But now some of those people I'll see around, and even if we never met or talked back in the day, but always had this kind of like, uh, nah, feeling. Now people will just be like, hey, man, it's good to see you. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you too. Like, <laughs> things, here, things here have gotten so lame that it's like, well, it's nice to see you're fucking still around. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> or shit like that. And, and it's, it's actually kind of nice. Like, like, Hey, we've been seeing each other around for 20 something years. And it's, yeah. it's nice to you see. Know, there was that thing too back then where it's like, even if you hate each other, you wanted to pick on this other, you know, it's like, you still had to see each other, you know, like you had to interact at some point cause you would all be yeah. ending up at the same show or at the same bar, the same house party or whatever, you know? And now it's like with more people, the divide is, is widened, I think so that it, it's, it's, it's more healthy. I think if you're interacting with people, you don't really have everything in common with, you know, so then like things just kind of become more homogenized. So that's the way I see it anyway. I don't, I don't know if that's actually true, but that's just my perception being an old person now. I can't really say if anything is, has changed for better or worse in, in that respect. Cause it's just changed. It's just different. Yeah. But it's it, true. I guess I'm just, I'm just personally missing the, you know, sort of diversity of voices or, you know, like just the presence of people who are weird because they have things that they're interested in, you know, and like, not just kind of, um, not being separated from all of those different interests and stuff in the same way. That's all. Like places like the X-ray the yes. o, turned into the O, the O hell, which is like a, the center for weirdos and people doing weird yeah. shit. I loved that place, even and though it was also terrible. There's kind of like specific punk clubs to play. And that, that's great because it's easy and it, it's like creates the scene or whatever. But we did a show. Uh, you remember the Ming Lounge, the Republic Cafe? <laughs> I love that show so much. <laughs> this was a perfect example. I heard that, that somebody had done a show there. So I walked into the Ming Lounge, which is this sketchy Chinese restaurant with an even sketchier bar in it in downtown and like yeah. the sketchiest part of downtown. It's finally closed. There's going to be, there's going to be a show. This is going to be awesome. So I go in there and the guy behind the counter is somebody from a band from 20 something years ago, like a band for sure. I talked shit about and like probably talked <laughs> shit about my band, <laughs> you know, like, like the apolitical punk scene. And again, I was just like, Whoa, Hey, and he's like, oh, hey, man, good to see you. And I was like, are you booking shows here? And then, like, that was it. We played the show. It was fucking great. It was complete chaos. And it, it was cool because it, it kind of took a lot of the punks who came there uh, sort of out of the safety element of, you know, I mean, yeah. there, was, there were fights. There was so like I tried to sell one shoe. There was, you know, two very aggressive dudes at the front of the crowd that had to be set taken outside. <laughs> but um, it was it was awesome. It was so fun, and it just felt like really uh, like being at home. You know, I mean, I already loved that place. I went there regularly at that time, um, but it just that, but like that. That restaurant and then House of Louis that was attached to it. Those are places I've been going since I was in middle school, you know, like, so yeah. it was just really fun to be like, oh, shit, we get to take over for a minute. And this place, it just it was beautiful inside, you know, it's like a little rundown, but it's like old school Chinese restaurant interior decor. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was wild. There was a very big mix in the crowd, you know, it was like mostly punks had come, but then there were also the regulars who were a lot of like locals who drank you know all day they were just there drinking all day that, that's something that i miss is like this lack of urgency like <clears throat> when you were doing the chinese tea house even 
like it, that it's, it's kind of weird. And there's, there's sort of a tension the whole time because it's like, you're not supposed to be there. Like it's something weird and you don't know how it's, yeah. if it's going to continue, if it's going to get shut down, like what weird people are going to show up and what are you going to do next when you lose this place and, and just finding weird yeah. places to have shows and thinking like, well, we can probably do this once and then they're going to get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And there's God, that- Yeah. And sometimes you get lucky. You can get a few months out of it before yeah. yeah, you finally get kicked out. But yeah, always being on the lookout for the new place. Yeah. And and I guess it's good that it's easy and it's comfortable now, but I think that takes away a lot of uh, learning or having to, to learn how to deal with situations and kind of the, the excitement. And it makes it more of a comfortable social scene rather than we're doing this sketchy, crazy thing. And yeah. it's fun when shows don't feel so predictable or yeah necessarily homogenous like if every single show that you go to has the same venue it'll affect my feelings about the music because then, you know the environment yeah. never changed it doesn't change in accordance with the, the band you know um but yeah i i mean i still it's so funny because it's been a long time now that there have been venues that we can play at where there are stages but forever you know we played in basements or living rooms or whatever and so just like that was always my favorite thing was that, you know, things were kind of chaotic and off kilter and weird. And sometimes you're like, eh, if there's a fire, we're all going to die. Let's keep playing, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing, um, which is just adds to kind of, I don't know, like being there and like feeling all of the energy that happens at the show, you know, Although I I, nowadays, whenever I go into some like place like that, I'm always like, okay, where's the, exits i know i mean <laughs> i know i've always been that that way and like then i just have to suppress my terror um well i one of those first chinese tea house shows you did when it was upstairs and the blood clots played and yeah jack jack yeah jack jumped up and like ripped a lot a light out of the ceiling i remember thinking like well oh Fuck, I remember, oh, yeah. I was like, well, no more shows here. <laughs> but yet it went that on. That was the absolute first show. <laughs> what, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is rambling territory, but we booked those disclosed shows. Yes. Like, that was a time when... Well, yeah, those, it's crazy to think that, like, so there was this time disclosed toured, and we couldn't... It was hard to find a place for them to play. Yeah. So you booked a show, Tony, at the on an art gallery <laughs> and the, oh, guy yeah, wanted yeah. To leave, the guy wanted to leave up all the art and we we're like no 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 <laughs> and he had like a catered buffet outside and stuff weird and then i had booked their show in in a the parking garage at a bowling alley which no, had, had a room. had a bunch of punk shows Boy, God, oh, that, was, yeah, it's like, that was awesome that so was I, really cool, but remember Disclose played in that room behind the alley where all the pins were, like the door got left open and we walked into the hallway and you could see like behind all of the... That's what happened. I showed up the day of the show to set up the PA in this giant like pitch black underground parking garage that just had lights in one corner where the stage was. It was like Escape from New York. And uh, the guy who was like my contact, who was, I guess, a bartender upstairs was like, we can't do the show down here anymore. Like two hours before the show because the roller derby team had offered him money to practice down there. Ah! So oh. he's like, well, we've got an abandoned liquor store in part of the building. 
and you can run extension cords from behind the lanes. <laughs> that show was so fun. Like that was yeah. such a great show. It was so chaotic, but just in the perfect way. And it was like, you know, the, the room was small enough that it didn't feel like a big empty space anywhere. You know, it was just, it was amazing. I loved that show. And another one where the drummer for Disclose, Wuochan, jumped up and grabbed the ceiling and the ceiling just collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Mouthful of asbestos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that art gallery on Alberta. I thought that was going to be awesome, but yeah, that only lasted a couple times and the whole thing was over. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of people in town for those shows, so there was a lot of... Like some places you'd get like one or two shows out of and then Poison Idea would play and that would be <laughs> Okay, let's play another song. Wanna tell us about this one? This one was the idea was to write a song like the like um The End Is Nigh off the blue Chaos UK record. Which I thought yeah. was such a cool, like spooky meandering song with lots of phasers and stuff and just kind of a re repeated refrain so that that was the idea behind near dark musically and the title is obviously taken from a, a lot of our stuff references horror movies um, or science fiction novels and near dark is a excellent, one of the best one of the best modern vampire films like that and the hunger, just that and the hunger. Yeah. Those incredible, are the <laughs> incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, and as a kid watching horror movies, Near Dark just like blew my mind. Yeah, it was like so vicious, and everyone looked fucking cool. And the cramps are on the sound. It's like the cramps <laughs> of Tangerine Dream are the soundtrack. Like <laughs> fucking best movie ever. The song has nothing to do with vampires. This the song is actually about. <laughs> But it, it, the song's actually about basically martial law, but also just the idea that that no matter how smooth you think things are going, immediately they could change. And there, there's machinations going on we're completely unaware of, but like such a, a massive apparatus of government existing that contingency plans for whatever that we have no idea about. And that all of a sudden... It just in an instant it can change even at the, the beginning of, of uh, lockdown, quarantine whatever, the, for the first few days people didn't know what was going on there was like rumors of you know, people being confined to their homes in certain places and like roadblocks and FEMA and so it, it yeah. that, at the, in that moment it seemed like completely chaotic and everyone was tense and that's what Near Dark was about
we ended up talking too long about Kinko's English Dogs Records and Disorder, Distortion, Tell Deafness. So this is the end of part one, and we'll be back next week with part two.